Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Bert Deister. Almost called you Duster for some reason. What's up? Good morning. Good morning. morning. Back to winter. Yeah. Back to winter. Yeah, we had just declared it over. Yeah. But whatever. We won't do that again. We promise. Next week it'll be over. But, yeah, yeah, this winter storm and yada, yada, yada. Good brewing weather, I guess. You know, what else? Yeah, a lot of people coming in, picked up ingredients for the storm. Um, And so, yeah, no, I know I'm doing the same. Very good. You know what I mean? Trying to find some indoor projects while I make a beer. We're doing, uh, I think it's a little bit of uh, seasonal brewing shows because last week was Irish Stout, St. Patrick's Day, and uh, today we're going to get to Oktoberfest because you're supposed to brew it now in March. But before we get to that, let's remind everyone of uh, what's going on. We've got a week from today, or I'm sorry, a week from yesterday. It is uh, March 9th, it's a Friday, the Art of Beer, the 12th Annual Art of Beer. Yes, and so this is a big event. It, everything goes to benefit the Niagara Arts and Community Center. Um, so if you have the night available, tickets are still available. Pre-sale, $35, and we'll be up to the day of the event. Um, and we are not sold out yet, so come on in, pick up a ticket, come on down. Not only is this a, you know, a, a beer tasting of kind of limitless beers, but it's also a food tasting. Um, so you're going to go home fat and happy from this one. Very good. $35 pre-sale tickets. You can get them, again, at Niagara Tradition um, or online at the uh, Niagara, Cultural, Niagara Arts and Cultural Center website as well. Also coming up, the Amber Waves of Grain homebrew competition. We're still a month out until the deadline from that, basically. I mean, it's the, it's at the end of this month. Yes, and, and this is to the point where just about – any common style is still easy to make. One more week and you're going to be getting a little bit nervous. But as of right now, there's just about uh, every style that you can make out there. Um, you got, you know, more than two weeks for, you know, um, brewing and about another two weeks to bottle condition before you turn it in. They'll sit around for another two weeks after that. So not to really help you procrastinate anymore, but you have about five weeks until they'll start popping the first bottles. So you got plenty of time to brew. I know a lot of people are coming in to brew now for the competition. Um, And so if you have some beer sitting around or if you were thinking about making a beer this week, um, take a look at the recipe. Take a look at the style guidelines. Make little adjustments to your recipe to help bring it into the style, um, and it will give it a better chance in competition. But even if you don't think you're going to win in competition, I always stress that it's a great way to get really good critiques on your beer. And it's not just, I don't like hoppy beer. It's that the bittering in this beer is a little bit too high for style. Try using a lower alpha acid, or and you're going to get actual advice. It's not just, I don't like this beer, this beer doesn't fit style. What's wrong with it? What can you do to change it? Um, and so, again, for 6 bucks, competition entry is really going to turn over and give you a lot of help in your brewing. Deadline March 31st, competition April 13th to 14th. What's uh, the latest on hop rhizomes? And how, we, how does this? we'll have them in. The one-time storm like this shouldn't make Not an issue. a huge deal. Um, but we should expect them in by the end of the month. Um, so there's some varieties up on our website now. If you want to get in, get an order. It's always better to plant early. Um, and we talk about high hop rhizomes a little bit every show in the spring. But I always try to stress, even if you are not 
knowing if you're going to harvest. They're a wonderful ornamental. They're a perennial vine that won't dig into your, you know, siding or your fence. They just wrap around twine very nicely. And then towards late summer, fall, they're going to grow these big kind of grape cluster of green pine cone flowers, and they really look wonderful. Um, it's kind of like growing a spice. At the end of the year, harvest what you want to harvest. You're going to get more than you know what to do with, or well, more, more than most of us would know what to do with. Um, but you can package it, you can save it, you can use it throughout the next year. So it can save you a bit of money, get you a good ornamental. Um, and yeah, they're perennial, so it's going to come back next year. Not a lot of work involved. And one other thing you've got in that's new is the carbonation lid. Yes, and so that's been very popular. The carbonation lid is a standard Cornelius keg lid. So you can fit it back between different types of kegs, you know, whether it's a Firestone, whether it's a Cornelius, Challenger system. You can put it on just about any keg lid as long as it doesn't have that racetrack or that like almost squared lid. It so then, this is the part that just pops out of the, out of the top. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the previous options were to install a CO2 stone on your dip tube, which was permanently installed in the keg. Cost about the same as the carbonator lid, and it was permanently affixed to that keg. So with the carbonator lid, you can carbonate one beer really quick without shaking, and then when it's done, you depressurize the keg, switch the lid back out to the original, and you can move this lid over to your next beer. So it prevents you having to wait around two to three weeks if you're just letting the beer sit at ambient temperature in the refrigerator, um, or it prevents that night of shaking the beer hooked up to the CO2 cylinder to try to rush carbonate it. Um, so if you're kegging and it's not fast enough, the carbonator lid uh, should be right for you. How does it work? Uh, well, easy, one I'd like to stress, but it has a ball lock disconnect, the male post right on the top of the lid, and that feeds down into a hose down to a micron, like I think a 0.5 micron stone. And what that does is increases the surface area. So you hook up your regular gas disconnect instead of to the normal gas port post to the one on this lid, and it pushes the gas through the CO2 stone increasing the surface area and really increasing the rate at which the CO2 dissolves into the beer. Um, When you first hook one of these things up, it's surprisingly violent. So if anybody's doing, when you hook your CO2 up to the keg, your CO2 hisses for a moment, it fills that like, you know, cord of headspace, and then it stops. Mm -hmm. When you hook up a CO2 stone, it just keeps running because just about as fast as it can push CO2 through that stone, it's actually dissolving it into the beer. And so... It's impressive, and it works fast. Basically, you hook it up to the CO2 overnight, you come down the next morning, and it's ready to go. Switch out the lids to a new keg, or whenever it's convenient, switch out the lids to a new keg. Um, You can keep it in there throughout serving. But, yeah, no, it's a really game changer. Because with the carbonation stones, making your own product tank, not only did you have to already have a flaring tool, you kind of had to know what you were doing, um, you know, mechanically, and then you're paying a big price to install it into just one keg. Mm-hmm. I know I've done it to two. So, And speaking of uh, game changers, the grain father, also something that you've been We're seeing a lot of sales on mentioning that. because of tax returns. Yes, yeah, so two actually systems. And so I think it kind of uh, screams to how much brewers are loving the electric brew system. So not only are we seeing a lot of sales on the, the grain father connect, um, but there's also the Blickman boil coils out there. So the Blickman, you can get a Blickman pot with a boil coil installed. Um, heats up just about as fast as their you know, gas systems when you're running the 240 line. But they also offer a kit. And I was looking at the basic one um, for a friend the other day. For 125 bucks, you can get their 7.5-gallon boil coil on the 120 system. It comes with all of the stuff you need to install it besides a step bit. It comes with all the templates, hardware, 
and you've turned your regular old brew pot, the same one you've been using for years, into an electric kettle. Um, and that makes control. If you're trying to do temperature control a lot easier. Uh, if you're trying to brew inside, that makes it a lot easier. So if you want to go, you know, electric brewing and you want to go glitzy, um, that grandfather's really nice. It's really popular, but it's also about $1,000, just under. Uh, if you already have a brew kettle around 8 gallons and you're trying to turn it into an electric one, it's not all hope is lost if it's not induction ready. That Blickman kit, 125 bucks. that's going to be cheaper than most induction burners, uh, and you're good to go for electric brewing inside. You can plug it into any 10-amp uh, outlet. And finally, one last thing before we get to our main topic today about uh, brewing in Oktoberfest. What do you have here about wine? What is this? This is something that got pointed out to me by two different people this week. Um, I didn't make it through the whole video, I have to admit. Um, but there was a, a, a video going online that, hey, you can make wine in your quick pot. You know what I mean? Um, and so the quick pot, if anybody hasn't seen one, they're like a, a, some combination of a slow cooker with a rice cooker with a programmable PID on it. So imagine you take your slow cooker, put a better lid on it, and have uh, a little bit more control of the heat down to the temperature, the time. A lot of them have timers on them. So if you were trying to do, say, sous vide, it's a great thing for a quick pot. You put your you know meat in Ziploc bags in there. You say 129 for two hours while you go do yard work, and it slow cooks your food. You can grill it up later. Uh, you're making rice. It can do the same thing. Set it to boil for 15 minutes and then walk away, and it will rest over the next 15 minutes. So there are a lot of great uses for these quick pots. They've been really popular. And, yes, I've heard of people brewing in them, especially if you're doing a one-gallon batch of beer. Um, you can use it to do your mash and control it and have temperature control, um, and it really is you know, really helpful. But the thing that I saw floating around online this week that a couple people pointed out to me is making wine in your quick pot. I think this came from a Vice article. Yeah. Um, and it's a little silly. So these quick pots are not cheap. You know what I mean? A lot of technology into it, plus a really like high-quality you know, crock pot at the back end of it. They're not cheap. And when you're doing this, when you're making wine in it, you're basically using it as a glorified bucket. So let me tell anybody who's read this article out there and they're rushing out to go get some like Welch's concentrate. One, we got some better stuff in for you at Niagara Tradition and it'll be about the same price per gallon. But also you're basically using your quick pot as a bucket. We sell them for $5 for about the same size and your wine's going to have to sit in there for 20 to 40 days or longer. So if you're loving this quick pot and you're using it like every other meal, you're going to have to give it up for a month in order to basically use it as a glorified bucket. And so a couple of people have asked me about this. Yeah. Hey, I have a quick pot. Can I make wine in it? And I'm like, you have brewing equipment. You have wine-making equipment. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Keep cooking your rice in the quick pot. Make your wine in a bucket or a carboy. It's cheaper. It's easier. Um, and for anybody who's never made wine before, and this is going to be your first adventure, there's something called a blow-off that happens in fermentation, meaning a lot of foam is created, and that foam has to go someplace. And your quick pot is electronic. Um, it's going to be all over the place. So I would not advise making wine in your quick pot. Yeah. So you can do it. You but can do it. Don't. Don't. Okay. You, you'd be better off using, in my opinion, just a stainless steel pot. So if you got like a, you know, a six-quart you know, cook pot, stainless steel, you're in better shape than that uh, quick pot. All right. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk about brewing an Oktoberfest. It is that time of year. It's uh, March, and a proper Oktoberfest is supposed to take six months to make. 
-hmm. So we'll get into that. If you've never done it the right way, here's the actual traditional right way to do it. That's up next here on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 15.1. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520, we're going to make an Oktoberfest. It's about this time of year. Every year, I think we do talk about it. We, in t- September. we talk about we, we talk about it once in September. We tell you in September how here. to quickly make, we'll say, like a fest beer or some type of faux Oktoberfest to serve to your friends. Um, but really, the time to brew it because again, it's in the name Oktoberfest Marzen, March to October. You're supposed to be brewing it now, and I feel a little guilty telling people to get your fall beer ready as we're sitting here in a snowstorm. Um, and we're looking at, you know, well, it's Western New York truth. It's about five months away from fall already. So we're less than half a year away from fall. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but it, if, if you want to brew a true Oktoberfest, you should be thinking about it now. So Oktoberfest is the, the beer that most commonly is paired with the German fall or kind of harvest festival. It actually starts in September. Um, they're... Recipes are all over the place, but there are some really common ingredients, and those are kind of focused on German malt, Munich malt, uh, Pilsner malt, uh, Vienna malt, and you'll see some other roasted malts, toasted malts, and it's really an excuse to get artistic with these and show off your favorites like biscuits, carafe special, Cararoma. Um, But this is primarily a malt-focused beer. Um, usually using noble hops, and there's a reason for this. So as we look at the two different beers, you have the Mars, and this is a higher alcohol, roastier beer, um, and then you have the Fest beer, and that's the one we always cover in September. Light in body, light in alcohol, still malt-focused beer, still kind of, you know, flavors, honey, graham cracker, but it's a light version can be made quickly before the event. It's more accommodating for those who are not looking for a big kind of aged malty beer. But the Marzen is. The Marzen is that beer. Higher in alcohol, roasty, aged for five to six months, lagered, and then pulled out to kind of celebrate the end of summer. Um, And if you want to brew it to style and you want to use the lager yeast, these are your last kind of weeks, which is why I always want to get to the show in early March. Mm -hmm. It's usually our last chance to get a week of primary fermentation in the, we'll say, high 50s to low 60s started. You're going to need a diacetyl rest of another week at 70 degrees. And then if you can, you want to put this into a keg, put it into bottles, put it into a carbuy, something that you know is going to stay sealed. So if you use a carbuy with a water airlock, you're going to have to check on it every once in a while. And you want to stash that in the refrigerator in the corner of the basement and just let it sit and lager. Remember, lager means to store, to age. So you're just trying to store it. You're not trying to drink it. You're trying to store it. And if you sit there on this beer for six or seven months, 
it's going to be really good. Full disclosure, I have made an Oktoberfest margin every single March. I think the entire time I have brewed. Wow. Not one bottle has ever made, made it, to, it to September. <laughs> ever. I mean, it, And I'm not the only home brewer who has this problem. Here's what you have to do. You have to give a few bottles to someone else with the agreement. Do not let me drink this until October. It, this Usually this works out this way, but I just made a barley wine. I gave two bottles to Kevin. I haven't even tried one yet, and he said, oh, I brought those out the other night. They were phenomenal. Mm. It's a 10% barley wine. So mm-hmm. one, Kevin handled two of those in one night, still made it into work the next morning, and two, he said it was good after about two weeks in bottles. So I'm pretty proud, but i got to go home and try one myself. I usually yeah. let them sit around. So for some beers, I'm really good at aging them. For other ones, with the Oktoberfest, you get to like a cold August night, you don't have anything, you know, malty and rich on tap, and you just end up throwing it on. And by the end of the month, it's gone. Um, fairly common problem for just about every, you know, year, you know, couple year home brewer. Um, so I would encourage you to bottle some. Try to hide those bottles. It's always a beer that I try to keg because I want to have people over. I want to serve the whole keg sometime in, you know, September or October. Never works out that way. So brew it now. Hide it on yourself. Mm-hmm. Hide at least a 12-pack on yourself so you can sit down in the fall and really enjoy the kind of benefits of waiting on your beer there. So before we're done here, we should probably talk a little bit about putting a recipe together for this. We're going to start right with the yeast. So you can go with ale yeast or you can go with lager yeast. One thing I would say is you're going to want a big pitch of either. So why I'm talking about the yeast first is you want to, especially if you're using liquid yeast, look at doing a starter. Now you can use ale yeast. That's traditional for this beer. Remember before the 1870s, there was no such thing as lager yeast. Lagering the process was before lager the yeast. So you can use an ale yeast, and it's going to be easy. You've done it before. It's the same kind of fermentation you're used to. Pitch it right at 65, let it slowly warm up to 70, ferment for a week or two. And then the process won't change from using a lager yeast. You're still going to bottle it or keg it and try to store it in a cold place in the basement and just kind of forget about it. But it will make your beer a lot easier, a lot less intimidating. Um, And if you don't have temperature control or a basement, um, it will make it a lot easier for you. Um, I would use any one of your, you know, favorite pseudo lagers or traditional all yeast. So you can use um, like Nottingham or USO5 and just try to ferment it really clean. Um, Or you can go for something like a German all yeast, which is a little more traditional. Um, And just a warning, those will produce a little bit more fruity flavors initially, but they'll die back over the aging time, just like the lager yeast do. Um, the lager yeast always kind of seems to be the big kind of boogeyman uh, for most homebrewers, um, and they're scared if they don't hold this perfect, you know, perfect temperature schedule, and they, they will have an undrinkable beer, whether it's you know uh, underfinished um, or whether it's just like extremely bad. And I always tell people this: if you take most lager yeast and you lose total fermentation control and you ferment it just like an ale at 65 degrees. You will still have a drinkable beer. Guess what? It's going to taste like an ale. It's going to have those fruity flavors. Um, It's going to be a little bit sweeter. It's going to taste kind of like the ale you use, so it won't be an absolute disaster. Now, if you let it sit there and you let it age over the course of five months, all those fruity flavors will slowly start to die back, um, and the beer will get better. So if you are not comfortable with lager yeast, that's okay. Go ahead and give it a try. 
with any home brewing, the kind of skill comes with the persistence um, in trying to have real consistency for your brewing. So hitting consistent pitch rates with that yeast, consistent temperatures, uh, consistent diacetyl rest, and then consistent amount of time for aging to get a consistent flavor. Well, as home brewers, consistency isn't one of our first worries. So don't worry about using the lager yeast. Go ahead. If you lose control of the fermentation, it's happened to me many times, you'll be okay. The beer will be okay. It will be more than drinkable. Um, most of these strains are fairly forgiving, but there are some that are more forgiving than most. I mean, definitely look at the Bohemian Lager, the 2124, 3470. Um, but you can even use something like a California Lager, um, which likes to ferment a little bit warmer. Um, but those, most lager yeasts are kind of 55 to 60 degrees as they're primary fermentation range. So most people's basement temperatures right now, tap water still cold, it'll be easy to get down, go for the true lager yeast. Mm -hmm. Even though the style isn't always traditionally brewed with the true lager yeast, go for it. And you'll have a long time for it to sit around and clean up and maybe your nerves will help you actually age this for a couple of months. How I have no nerves, so I have and, no luck aging it. And how important do you think it is to have for a, for an Oktoberfest to use as many German ingredients as possible? Or is it just that... I think it's very important. I kind of wanted to go back to the hops, too, because I was talking about always use noble hops and it makes a difference in the aging. Um, so if we go to the hops, uh, using the German hops, they uh, quickly convert into beta acid, and they don't have a lot of other resinous compounds and cumulones like some of our American hops. So they don't have these oily compounds that break down over time and skunk as much. And so what happens is, is over the aging process, your alpha acids oxidize. They turn into these beta acids, which most people actually think are a lot more pleasing to the palate. Um, so when you're using these German noble hops, you tend to get better results in this long-term aging as far as the flavors and the bitterness that you'll have after five to six months. I mean, think about what happens to a, you know, American pale ale or IPA after five to six months sitting in the basement. It's not the beer it used to be, and, and there's very little of those original hop flavors left. They all changed into something. Um, with the German noble hops, they tend to take for this aging a lot better. And when you come to the malt, so when you're Oktoberfest, you're going to start looking at recipes, you're going to start thinking about mashing warm or doing a decoction mash. Um, or if you're doing a really big example, you're going to need these grains to convert really well. Um, not to point away from the, the big, I will say the big American maltsters, because it definitely the smaller American maltsters have these qualities in their malts. Um, but the German malts tend to mash very well um, over a wide temperature range. So anybody who's used primarily, say, you know, one of the two big name names here, American malting companies, you'll notice that their, their grain is very efficient. So at 153, 154 degrees, you get really high extract potential um, and you get good flavors. But as you start to push those temperatures, you start to push it a little bit hotter, um, the German malts are going to start producing flavors of honey, and, and the smaller American craft malts will too. Um, they're going to start producing honey, biscuity flavors, and, and the, they'll have this very pleasant sweetness. Um, with some of these American malts, these bigger ones, as you push the temperature up, they don't have as much of the, the amylase enzymes that uh, are active at that higher range. And so what tends to happen is, is they don't convert as much. You kind of get this sickly sweet flavor, and you just don't get those same kind of character of honey and stuff like that. So if you have a sack of American two-row sitting around, I'm not trying to 
uh, say you have to go out and pick up you know all new base malts to make this beer. You can certainly use it, but I would be accommodating and try to use specialty malts to get those other flavors rather than push your base malt malting temperature. So those the German base malts traditionally for these styles tend to do well over decoction mashing, but over you know multi mash temperatures as well. Where I've noticed some of the larger American malts do not do this kind of versatile mash as well. Um, and so if you're making an Oktoberfest, I'm not going to say that you have to use all German ingredients. I certainly don't. I, I look at my specialty malts. I look at what I have for hops and what I have for base and see what I can throw in there. But I can tell you the ingredients, if you use the traditional ingredients used for Oktoberfest, it seems to make the whole process a lot easier. And the ingredients just kind of want to do the right thing over the course when you, when you decoct it. You get these wonderful, you know, toasty and rich flavors. When you mash warm, you get this wonderful honey flavor. When the hops age in the beer, they tend to get this clean beta acid, not a skunky or soapy effect. Um, so using authentic ingredients to style will make life a lot easier. And if you are looking at entering this beer into competition, judges will notice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They've done this before. They've, they've tried to push that breeze two row as far as it can go on the warmer end, and they've paid the price. And they're going to notice those kind of subtle flavors in there. You know, it's going to be sweet, but it won't have that quite same aroma. You know what I mean? It'll have the right color, but it won't have the right mouthfeel and thickness. And, right. and so it will be a lot easier on yourself if you use all German ingredients. Stay true to the form. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Very good. Well, get to brewing your Oktoberfest, and don't be like Bert. Save it. Save, yeah, save one some. bottle. Save Actually, some. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to save. I think every home, home brewer on this note should have one teetotaler friend. Yeah. You know, kind of like a safety deposit box buddy well, that you can leave beer in his basement. You know what you should do, and this would be a good experiment, would be to make your Oktoberfest, age it till October, make the same recipe three weeks before October, yeah, and then say, here's the same beer. Age, the, the one age six months, and the one that's like the quick October, like the one thrown together, and see what kind of differences you notice. Oh, yeah. It'll be huge. Yeah. And, and, and to, as far as what you get, you get the cleaning up of the hops. You also get a cleaning up of the fermentation. So you lose the cel- acetaldehyde, um, diacetyl, as well as some of the, the malt proteins uh, break down and fall out as the yeast kind of still consume a little bit of sugar. Um, so the beer ends up with a crisper, cleaner flavor. A lot of those multi-tones come through even better. Um, so it will certainly, I will guarantee it will be a better beer after five to six months. All right. That does it for us. We're back next week on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.